Hi, welcome to History's Great Speeches. I'm Charles Featherston, voice artist, narrator and compiler of the series. Please like or subscribe and feel free to contact me via Bandcamp, Podbean, Facebook or Patreon to let me know speeches or time periods you'd like to see covered. You can find a full set of links at my website, charlesfeatherston.uk. John Calvin, A Treatise on Relics, Part 3 There are several carved images as well as paintings of Jesus Christ to which many miracles are attributed. Thus the beard grows on the crucifixes of Savatiera and Orange, and other images are said to shed tears. These things are too absurd for serious refutation, and yet the deluded world is so infatuated that the majority put as much faith in these as in the Gospels. The Blessed Virgin. The belief that the body of the Virgin was not interred on earth but was taken to heaven has deprived them of all pretext for manufacturing any relics of her remains, which otherwise might have been sufficiently abundant to fill a whole churchyard. Yet, in order to have at least something belonging to her, they sought to indemnify themselves for the absence of other relics with the possession of her hair and her milk. The hair is shown in several churches at Rome and at Salvatiera in Spain, at Masson, saint Flower, Cluny, Nevers and in many other towns. With regard to the milk, there is not perhaps a town, a convent or nunnery where it is not shown in large or small quantities. Indeed, had the virgin been a wet nurse her whole life, or a dairy, she could not have produced more than is shown as hers in various parts. How they obtained all this milk they do not say, and it is superfluous here to remark that there is no foundation in the Gospels for these foolish and blasphemous extravagances. The virgin's wardrobe has produced an abundant store of relics. There is a shirt of hers at Chartres, which has been fully celebrated as an idol, and there is another at Isle Chapelle. I do not know how these things could have been obtained, for it is certain that the apostles and first Christians were not such triflers as to amuse themselves in this way. It is, however, sufficient for us to consider the shape of these articles of dress, in order clearly to see the impudence of their exhibitors. The shirt at Isle Chapelle is a long clerical surplice, shown hanging to a pole, and if the Blessed Virgin had been a giantess, she would still have felt much inconvenience in wearing so large a garment. In the same church they preserve the shoes of St. Joseph, who could only fit the foot of a little child or a dwarf. The proverb says that liars need good memories, so as not to contradict their own sayings. This rule was not followed out at Isle Chapelle, otherwise care would have been taken to maintain a better proportion of size between the shoes of the husband and the shirt of the wife. And yet these relics, so devoid of all appearance of truth, are devoutly kissed and venerated by crowds. I know of only two of her headdresses. One is at the Abbey of St. Maximian at Treves, and the other is at Lisio in Italy. They may be considered quite as genuine as the Virgin's girdle at Prato and at Montserrat, as her slipper at saint Jacquem, and as her shoe at saint Fleur. Now, those who are at all conversant with this subject well know that it was not the custom of the primitive church to collect shoes and stockings and so on for relics, and also that for 500 years after the death of the Virgin Mary there was never any talk of such things. It really seems as if these well-known facts would be sufficient to prove the absurdity of all these relics of the Virgin. But her worshippers, not merely satisfied with the articles I have just enumerated, endeavour to ascribe to her a love of dress and finery.
A comb of hers is shown in the church of San Martin at Rome, and another in that of San Jean le Grand at Besançon, besides others that may be shown elsewhere. Now, if this be not a mockery of the Virgin, I do not know what that word implies. They have not forgotten her wedding ring, which is shown at Perusa. As it is now the custom for a husband to present his bride with a ring at the marriage ceremony, they imagined it to be so in the time of the Virgin, and in her country, consequently, they show a splendid ring as the one used at her wedding, forgetting the state of poverty in which she lived. Rome possesses four of her gowns in the churches of St. John of the Lateran, St. Barbara, St. Maria Supra Minervam, and St. Blasius. Whilst at Salvatiera, they boast of having fragments of a gown belonging to her. I have forgotten the names of other towns where similar relics are shown. It is sufficient to examine the materials of these vestments in order to see the falsehood of their claims, for their exhibitors give to the Virgin the same sort of robes with which they dress up her images. It remains now to speak of her images, not of the common ones of which there are so many everywhere, but of those which are distinguished from the rest by some particular claims. Thus at Rome there are four which they pretend were painted by St. Luke the Evangelist. The principal one is in the church of St. Augustine, which they say St. Luke had painted for his own use. He always carried it about his person and it was buried with him. Now, is it not a downright blasphemy to turn thus a holy evangelist into a perfect idolater? And what reason had they for believing that St. Luke was a painter? St. Paul calls him a physician. I do not know from whence they obtained this notion, but supposing it was so, is it possible to admit that he would have painted the Virgin for the same purpose as the pagans did a Jupiter, a Venus, or any other idol? It was not the custom of the primitive Christians to have images, and it only became so a long while afterwards, when the church was corrupted by superstition. Moreover, the whole world is filled with representations of the Blessed Virgin, which are said to have been painted by the same evangelist. I shall not say anything about St. Joseph, whose shoes at Isle Chapelle I have already mentioned, and whose other similar relics are preserved in many places. St. Michael it may be considered that I am joking when I speak of the relics of an angel, considering how absurd and ridiculous it is to do so. Yet, although the hypocrites certainly know this well, they have made use of the name of St. Michael to delude the ignorant and foolish. For they show at Carcassonne his falchion, which looks like a child's dagger, and his shield, which is no larger than the knob of a bridle. Is it possible for man or woman to exist who can believe such mockery? It is indeed a blasphemy under a garb of devotion against God and his angels. The exhibitors of the above-mentioned relics endeavour to support their imposture by the testimony of Scripture that the archangel Michael combated with Satan. But if he was conquered by the sword, it would at least have been one of a different size and calibre than the toy to which I have alluded. People must, however, be very silly to believe that the war waged by angels and the faithful against the devil is a carnal encounter fought with material weapons. But as I said before at the commencement of this treatise, the world has rightly deserved to be led astray into such absurdities for having lusted after idols and worshipped them instead of the living God. St. John the Baptist Proceeding in due order, we must now treat of St. John the Baptist, whom, according to the evangelical history, that is, God's word of truth, was, after being beheaded, buried by his disciples. 
Theodore, the eminent chronicler of the church, relates that his grave was at Sebast, a town in Syria, and that sometime after his burial the grave was opened by the pagans who burnt his bones and scattered their ashes in the air. Eusebius adds, however, that some men from Jerusalem, who were present on the occasion, secretly took a little of these ashes and carried them to Antioch, where they were buried in a wall by Athanasius. With regard to his head, Sosimon, another chronicler, relates that it was carried to Constantinople by the Emperor Theodosius. Therefore, according to these ancient historians, the whole body of John the Baptist was burnt with the exception of his head, and the ashes were all lost, excepting the small portion secretly taken away by the hermits of Jerusalem. Now, let us see what remains of the head are extant. The face is shown at a means, and the mask which is there exhibited has a mark above the eye, caused, they say, by the thrust of a knife made by Herodias. Amiens' claim to this relic is, however, disputed by the inhabitants of Saint-Jean-d'Angely, who show another face of Saint-John. With regard to the rest of the head, its top, from the forehead to the back part, was at Rhodes, and I suppose must now be at Malta, at least the knights boast that the Turks had restored it to them. The back of the head is at St. John's Church at Nemours, the brain at nogent le rotrou a part of the head is at St. John Maximin, a jaw is at Besançon, a portion of a jaw is at St. John of the Lateran, and a part of the ear at St. Flor in Avern. All this does not prevent Salvatiera from possessing the forehead and hair. At Noyon they have a lock of the hair, which is considered to be very authentic, as well as that at Lucca and many other places. Yet, in order to complete this collection, we must go to the monastery of San Silvestre at Rome, where the whole and real head of St. John the Baptist will be shown to us. Poets tell us a legend about a king of Spain who had three heads. If our manufacturers of relics could say the same of St. John the Baptist, it would greatly assist their lies. But as such a fable does not exist, how are they to get out of this dilemma? I shall not press them too hard by inquiring how could this head be so divided and distributed, or how have they procured it from Constantinople. I shall merely observe that either St. John must have been a miracle, or that those who possess so many parts of his head are a set of the most audacious cheats. What is more than this, they boast at Siena of possessing an arm of that saint, which is contrary, as we have already said, to the statements of all the ancient historians, and yet this fraud is not only suffered, but even approved of, for in the kingdom of Antichrist nothing is too bad which can serve to keep people in a state of superstition. Another fable has been invented respecting St. John the Baptist. When his body was burnt, they say that the finger with which he had pointed out our Lord Jesus Christ had remained whole and uninjured by the fire. Now, this story may easily be refuted by the ancient historians, because Eusebius and Theodore distinctly state that the body had already become a skeleton when the pagans burnt it. And they certainly would not have omitted the relation of such a miracle in their histories if there had been any foundation for it, having been but too eager to narrate such events even as are quite frivolous. But supposing that this miracle had really taken place, let us seek where this finger is now to be found. There is one at Besançon in the church of St. John the Great, a second at Toulouse, a third at Lyon, a fourth at Florence, and a fifth at St. Jean d'Aventure's, near Masson. Now I request my readers to examine this subject, and to judge for themselves whether they can believe that whilst St. John's finger, which according to their own tradition is the only remainder of his body, is at Florence, 
five other fingers can be found in sundry other places, or, in short, that six are one and one is six. I speak, however, only of those that have come to my knowledge, but I make no doubt, if a careful inquiry were made, that one might discover half a dozen more of St. John's fingers and many pieces of his head besides those I have enumerated. There are many relics of another kind shown as having belonged to St. John the Baptist, as, for instance, one of his shoes is preserved in the Church of the Cartusians at Paris. It was stolen about twelve years ago, but it was very soon replaced by that sort of miracle never likely to cease so long as there are shoemakers in the world. At St. John of the Lateran at Rome, they boast of having his haircloth mentioned in the Gospels. The Gospels speak of his raiment of camel's hair, but they endeavour to convert it into a horsehair garment. They have also at the same church the altar before which he prayed in the desert, as if altars were in those days erected on every occasion and in every place. I wonder indeed that they have not ascribed to him the saying of the Mass. At Avignon they show the sword with which he was beheaded, and at Isle la chapelle the sheet which was spread under him at that time. Is it not absurd to suppose that the executioner would spread a sheet under one whom he was about to kill? But admitting that this should be the case, how have they obtained these two objects? Is it likely that the man who put him to death, whether a soldier or executioner, should have given away his sword and the sheet we have mentioned in order to be converted into relics? St. Peter and St. Paul It is now time to speak of the apostles, and I shall begin with St. Peter and St. Paul. Their bodies are at Rome, one part of them in the church of St. Peter and the other in that of St. Paul. We are told that St. Sylvester weighed their bodies in order to divide them into equal parts. Both their heads are preserved also at Rome in St. John of the Lateran. Besides the two bodies we have just mentioned, many of their bones are to be found elsewhere, as at Poitiers they have St. Peter's jaw and beard. At Treves there are several bones of the two apostles. At Argenton in Berry they have St. Paul's shoulder, and in almost every church dedicated to these apostles there will be found some of their relics. At the commencement of this treatise I mentioned that St. Peter's brains, which were shown in this town of Geneva, were found on examination to be a piece of pumice stone, and I have no doubt that many of the bones considered to belong to these two apostles would turn out to be the bones of some animal. At Salvatiera they have St. Peter's slipper. I do not know what shape it is or of what material it is made, but I conclude it to be similar to the slippers of the same apostle shown at Poitiers, and which are made of satin embroidered with gold. It would seem as if they had made him thus smart after his death as a compensation for the poverty which he suffered during his lifetime. The bishops look now so showy in their pontificals that no doubt it would be thought derogatory to the apostle's dignity if they were not dressed out in the same style. They take, therefore, figures which they gild and ornament all over, and name them as St. Peter or St. Paul, forgetting that it is well known what was the condition of these apostles whilst in this life, and that they wore the raiments of the poor. They show also at Rome St. Peter's Episcopal chair and his chaucible, as if the bishops of that age had thrones to sit upon. The bishops then were engaged in teaching, consoling and exhorting their flocks both in public and private, setting them an example of true humility, but not teaching them to set up idols, as is done by those of our day. With regard to his chaucible, I must say that it was not then the custom to put on disguises, for farces were not at that time performed in the churches as they are now. 
Thus, to prove that St. Peter had a chaucible, it is necessary to show in the first place that he had played the mountebank, as the priests do now whenever they intend to serve God. It is, however, no wonder that they have given him a chaucible since they have assigned an altar to him, there being no more truthful foundation for the one than for the other. It is well known what kind of mass was said at that time. The apostles simply celebrated the Lord's Supper, and this requires no altar. But as to the celebration of the mass, it was then not heard of, nor was it practised for a long time afterwards. It is, therefore, evident that those who invented all these relics never expected contradictions, or they would not have devised such audacious falsehoods. The authenticity of St. Peter's altar at Rome, which I have just mentioned, is denied by Pisa, that town pretending to possess the real one. The least objectionable of St. Peter's relics is undoubtedly his staff, it being most probable that he had made use of one during his travels, but unfortunately there are two of them at Cologne and Treves, each town claiming exclusive possession of the identical one. The Other Apostles We shall speak of the rest of the apostles together in order to get quicker over the matter, and we will relate, in the first place, where their whole bodies are to be found, that our readers, by comparison, may be able to form their own opinions on the subject. All know that the town of Toulouse boasts of possessing the bodies of six, namely St. James the Major, brother of St. John, St. Andrew, St. James the Minor, St. Philip, St. Simeon and St. Jude. At Padua they have the body of St. Matthias, at Salerno that of St. Matthew, at O'Connor that of St. Thomas, in the kingdom of Naples that of St. Bartholomew. Now let us reckon up those apostles who possess two or three bodies. St. Andrew has a duplicate at Amalfi, St. Philip and St. James the Minor both have duplicates at Rome, at Sanctos Apostolos, St. Simeon and St. Jude the same in St. Peter's Church. St. Bartholomew enjoys an equal privilege at Rome, in the church bearing his name. Here we have enumerated six of them, each provided with two bodies, and St. Bartholomew has an additional skin into the bargain, which is shown at Pisa. St. Matthew, however, outrivals them all, for besides the body at Padua, which we have before mentioned, he has another at Rome in the church of St. Maria Maggiore, a third at Treves, and an additional arm at Rome. It is true that the bits and scraps of St. Andrew's body, scattered in various places, counterbalance in some measure the superiority of St. Matthias, for he has at Rome in St. Peter's church a head, and a shoulder in that of St. Chrysostom, an arm at St. Esprit, a rib at St. Eustace, I do not know how many bones at St. Blas, and a foot at Ayen Provence. Now, as St. Bartholomew has left his skin at Pisa, so he has left there a hand, at Dreves he has also some bones, of which I forget the number. At Freus a finger, and at Rome there are other of his bones. So that, after all, he is not the poorest of the apostles, others not having such a number of relics. St. Matthew and St. Thomas are the poorest of all. The first has only, besides his body at Salerno, which we have mentioned, some bones at Dreves, an arm in the church of San Maria at Rome, and in that of San Nicholas his head though it may be that other of his relics may have escaped my knowledge, which would be no wonder, for who is not confused with this ocean of impostures? As they pretend in their tales that the body of St. John the Evangelist disappeared immediately after it was deposited in the grave, so they cannot produce any of his bones, and they therefore sought for a compensation amongst his clothing and so on. 
Thus they show at Bologna the cup from which he was forced to drink poison by order of the Emperor Domitian. Probably owing to some wonderful process of alchemy, the same cup exists also in the Church of St. John of the Lateran at Rome. They have also his coat and the chain with which he was bound when brought from Ephesus to Rome, as well as the oratory at which he used to pray when in prison. St. Anna, we must now hurry on or we shall never quit this labyrinth. We will therefore only briefly mention the relics of those saints who were our Lord's contemporaries and then proceed to those of the martyrs and so on, leaving our readers to form their own conclusions from these brief sketches. Saint Anne, the mother of the Blessed Virgin, has a whole body at Apt in Provence and another at Notre-Dame-de-Ile at Lyon. She has a head at Treves also, a second at Durin-Nicolone and a third at a town called after her name in Thuringia. I shall not speak of her other relics shown in more than a hundred different places. I remember that I myself kissed one of her relics, kept at the Abbey of Ocamp near Noyon, on the occasion of a grand festival held in its honour. Lazarus, Mary Magdalene, and so on. Lazarus has, to my knowledge, three bodies, at Marseille, Autun, and Avalon. A protracted lawsuit took place between the two last-named towns concerning the validity of their respective claims to the possession of the real body of the saint. Yet, after immense expense, both parties may be said to have gained their suit, for neither forfeited its title to ownership. With regards to Mary Magdalene, she owns but two bodies, one at Auxerre and another of very great celebrity, with its head detached, at St. Maximin in Provence. Of their numerous relics scattered over the world I shall not speak. I would merely inquire whether Lazarus and his sisters ever went to preach in France. For those who have read the accounts given by ancient historians of those times cannot fail to be convinced of the folly of this fable.